Hi, everyone. It's Matt Walsh. You're about to listen to a very special Daily Wire backstage that we recorded live at the world-famous Ryman Auditorium here in Nashville. Myself, Jeremy Boring, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and Candace Owens talk about the insanity going on in the news. And you'll hear about the exciting new projects that uh, we have coming up at the Daily Wire. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. Thanks for listening. Let me tell you about inflation. Inflation is all running hot, and now the Dems are pushing another massive spending plan of $3.5 trillion. So here is the deal. If you think that money grows on trees, like our government currently does, keep living in ignorance. If you're freaked out about the impact the additional spending is going to have on already high inflation, it's time to protect your savings now. (laughs) If you have not yet reached out to Birch Gold, To diversify part of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA, do it today. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers. And this month, when you place an order with Birch Gold, you will get a signed copy of my book, How to Destroy America, in three easy steps. Text Ben to 474747 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on holding gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Plus, sending this text is the only way to be eligible for a signed copy of my book when you place an order again. Text BEN to 474747 and protect your savings. Big clap in three, two, one! Backstage live at the famous Ryman Auditorium in our new home, Nashville, Tennessee. We are so honored to get to be here. This is sacred ground, the mother church of country music. So what a Southern California Jew, two East Coast Catholic fundamentalists, a hip-hop fan from Connecticut, and whatever Andrew Clavin is or doing here, I have no idea. But here we are. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at ExpressVPN. Don't let big tech track what you do. Anonymize your web browsing over at expressvpn.com slash backstage. All right. First thing we want to do is apologize to anyone who wasn't able to make it. Were you all able to get here? I mean, how bad was the travel situation out there? Listen, it's absolutely normal that there would be certain weather conditions that only... (laughs) that only affect very particular airlines. <laughs> ben, was that your people? Oh, I mean. <laughs> we really only go after JetBlue. <laughs> it's been almost a year since the election was stolen. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
stolen by our huge election night announcements. You guys have to let me finish this. <laughs> it was on election night that we announced that Candace was joining the Daily Wire. Yeah. We also announced that we were moving into entertainment. and that we were hiring our first investigative journalists. It's kind of you, but nobody claps for investigative journalists. (laughs) In addition to our normal tomfoolery tonight, we're hoping to bring you what we think you'll agree are some pretty exciting announcements and updates on those announcements that we made a year ago. We've had had time to make good on our promises, and we're going to be filling you in throughout tonight's broadcast. But first, if you're not a dailywire.com subscriber, what are you waiting for? You need to head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join right now. The left is on the march. The culture is in collapse. Frankly, we need your help to fight the bastards and try to save the future. Head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and get in the fight with us. All right. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I've got one. I actually, talking about some of our friends who wanted to be here today and couldn't join us because of uh, what's going on at Southwest Airlines, I actually think that story took an interesting turn today when Southwest said, oh no, it's not the weather, it's Joe Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Which I know came as quite a surprise to everyone. None of us knew what was really going on. But it's pretty remarkable to me how quickly uh, the Biden administration's policies are bringing ruin not only to Uh, our individual liberties with mandates, vaccine mandates, mask mandates, uh, but also to the economy. I mean, the news is terrible, Ben. It's unbelievable. I mean, if you you look at the economic report from last month, 194,000 jobs gains, nearly as many illegal immigrants entered the country as we gained jobs during that month. Those are the actual stats. And that is solely and completely due to the incompetence of the Biden administration. There really are no other extraneous forces that can explain all of this. Because the fact is that when our house plant president was elected, He promised that we were going to not shut down the economy, not shut down the country, we were going to shut down the virus. And he'd been handed basically what I thought was an almost unbeatable hand, right? We were coming out of a bad period with the virus. We had a vaccine that worked. We had a distribution plan. We were going to just allow the economy to go back to its normal state because it was essentially put in an artificial coma last year. And Joe Biden has decided that he is going to tell the unvaxxed that they cannot work, tell the vax that they should not work, and tell everybody we will pay them not to work. And then nobody works. And then he's wondering why exactly there are slowdowns and why exactly flights aren't going anywhere and why there are bottlenecks at the, in, in the shipping supply. And now he's got the White House saying that there are going to be shortages for Christmas. So he has morphed from Santa Claus into the Grinch in a little under a year. It's pretty impressive. But you know, the, the thing that's important here, look, I'm really glad that Southwest is coming out now and saying, no, please, we hate mandates. We hate Joe Biden. Don't, don't yell at us. But the fact is... Joe Biden actually did not make them do that. That's right. Joe Biden, he came out there, he said, I'm going to have the Occupational Safety and Health Administration enforce this thing on the companies. But you know what the companies can do? You know what they can say? Let's go, Brandon. They can say, let's go, Brandon. We're not going to do it. That's what we did. That's what we did. It worked out fine. And by the way, it was all a charade because Joe Biden still has not issued regulation. From OSHA. There's, right? He there's just put been that no out there to there's give cover nothing. to all these corporations. Yeah. That's all. It's a press release. It's yep. a press release that people have been afraid of, that we stood up to them. We'd like to be heroic, but we stood up to a press release. We're not that impressive. <laughs> <I think. laughs> In fairness, we stood up to it with a press release of our own. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what a press release. 
This shows you the fight fire with fire. <laughs> this shows the the heroism of those pilots. First of yep. all, you know oh, this, yeah. this this what shows when you say no. This is the this is the power that exists in simply saying no. That they caused Southwest to back down. You can get a win if you actually say no. That's what we learned from this. Well, that's also what we're learning from what's happening in Sydney, Australia right now. The people basically, I've been calling for it for years, we need a national day of no. Uh, and our, our cousins over in Australia, especially uh, truck drivers and others, said, no, we're not going to allow you to segregate our culture on the basis of who is and who isn't vaccinated. If the premise is that the vaccines work, then the vaccinated have nothing to fear from the unvaccinated. Let people get back to their lives. And now for the first time in like 18 months, people in Sydney, Australia are almost free, which is better than you can say for anybody in Canada at the moment or in LA. Or California. Or in California, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of ironic that Australia began as a state for prisoners and almost ended as a prison state. <laughs> they came full circle there. Listen, I just got back from New York. I got back from New York and people still are terrified. They yes. actually check your vaccinated, vaccination card in restaurants. When I landed here in Nashville, when I walked out, I was like, thank God I am in the free state of Tennessee. <laughs> because... It, it, it was like there being is, in two different true. countries. It's true. I, I recently went to New York and I felt the exact same way. It's, it's migrated. Now it's, it's something, it's mutated to a, a, a psychosis, COVID-19. And they don't know, they, don't, they get scared when they see people's faces outside of a mask. They don't know how to react to seeing a human face. Yep. Because they've been living under that for so long. But there's also something that's interesting is that there's something circular happening. And I've been talking about this on my show. Where it's the government is forcing small businesses in New York City to check vax cards. You know, yep. unless you're going to be fined, you're going to get in trouble if you don't do this, right? And of course, years will go by and you realize this is really wrong, this is discriminatory, it's not okay, it's akin to medical Jim Crow, Jim Crow. It was the government that was forcing white business owners to not allow black people in. But then when we look back, the government's not going to pay for it. They're going to look back and they're going to say these hideous, awful, racist, like they did in the Jim Crow era, hideous, awful people that were listening to medical tyranny and didn't let people into their stores. The government never has to face any consequence. I think that that's what people are so frustrated about. It's yeah. like th there's going to be no consequence for the Democrats and the Biden administration for yeah. forcing these horrible mandates and, and forcing people to treat one another in the way that they're treating one another. But do you notice, I'm, I'm noticing that the powers that be are starting to waffle a little bit. So, and you, you see this even up to and including the exalted Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him, the most powerful politician <laughs> the most powerful one. But, I know, I agree. Because he goes on TV, he already canceled Christmas last year, he goes on TV, he was asked, can we please, this was on CNN, I think. Can we please have Christmas this year? Can we please let, let us have Christmas, Dr. Fauci? And what does he say? It's a little too soon to tell. <laughs> Dana. So he says that, right? He says, maybe I'm going to cancel Christmas again. And then the people say, uh, I don't think so, Dr. Fauci. And then a few days later, what's he say? I never said we were going to cancel Christmas. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I think if the people stand up and they actually say, we're just not doing this anymore, the ruling class can, can only I, has so much power. Can I, can I also say... Just a, a quick note about Christmas, because I've actually gotten some emails from people saying, well, my, you know, my uh, family member, sister, brother, whatever, is uh, you know, not sure still about getting together for Christmas, is waiting for the word from Fauci. I would say, at, at this point, if your family member is still waiting for Fauci to give them permission, to leave their house, just it might be time to cut that off. And <laughs> just cut that relationship off, I think. What I know.
What is amazing is that the suffering that we're seeing is, at this point, entirely self-imposed. It really is. Oh, yeah. And when you look at the polls, what you see is that the vaxxed are more afraid than the unvaxxed. The unvaxxed are unvaxxed by choice at this point, so they're not afraid. And the vaxxed are sitting in their houses deeply afraid, and the vaxxed are predominantly, and the vaxxed and afraid are predominantly located in blue states, and that's having a massive economic impact in those states. So reality is creating a bit of a feedback loop here, and I really believe that this is why Biden must blame a huge percentage of the American population for his own failings. Joe Biden came in and he said, I have a magic button right here. Watch, I'm gonna hit this magic button. And then he tried to hit the magic button and his arm locked, but then after that, he tried to hit the magic button again. And when he tried to hit that magic button, nothing happened because he had lied to people. He had told them that when he hit the magic button, everything was gonna go back to normal, but also he was going to tell you to stay in your house. When they say right now that the pandemic is a pandemic of the unvaxxed, Fair enough, but the economic slowdown is an economic slowdown of the blue states. If you look at the 10 states and nine states plus DC that have the, the highest unemployment rates, all are blue, all are blue. And if you look at the 23 states that have the lowest unemployment rates, 17 of the 23 are red, another four are purple, only two are blue. Okay, there's a reason for that, and that is because the entire mentality in the blue states is government is going to save us, government is going to take care of us, government is going to pay all of our bills, government is going to protect us from the virus, and that's why there's almost this religious sensibility about the masking. If we just do what the government says, if we just do what they say, the virus will not touch us, and that's also why you see such glee when somebody follows all the rules, but they don't trust the government, and then they get COVID, they get a breakthrough case, right? Brett Kavanaugh gets vaxxed, he gets COVID, they're like, ah, oh, well, Brett Kavanaugh deserved it, that was the god of COVID coming for him, it's like, he did all the right things. Uh, you know, I find the irrationality a little bit frightening. When you make any kind of an argument online, a logical argument, rational argument, historical argument, they come back at you with Trump, Trump, Trump. They sound like the Oompa Loompas in the chocolate factory. Yeah. Trump, 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 Trump. And you think like, well, you know, San Francisco, once the most beautiful city in the country, is a hellhole. Portland and Seattle are on fire. Yeah. You're out of work. There's homeless people living all over LA. Everywhere. There's homeless people living everywhere. How much, how much worse could Trump have been? You know, even, even if I'd forgotten, even if I'd forgotten, say, wiping out ISIS and bringing the economy back and all the good things that Trump did, even if I put those aside, what could he have done that was as bad as this? Well, it's also really important to notice what happened just this week. So just this week, it became clear that more people have died in 2021 yeah. from the coronavirus than died last year. And so what happened? Last year, every single COVID death was Trump's fault, even when they happened disproportionately in Democrat states, notably Cuomo's New York. Even when COVID killed people of car crashes. Yeah. 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 Bullets, right, yeah. exactly. But then, then you notice this year, the, all of these people are dying on Biden's watch. Whose fault is it? Ron DeSantis. It's the Delta. Greg Abbott. <laughs> Bill Lee. I mean, it's right. the Delta variant. Watch, yeah. watch That's the right. Delta but it, it can never, ever be their fault. They no. just keep moving the goalposts. Because well, that's, the, that's the joy fault. of owning the press. I mean, I've, and there is also this push. It's like they're demonizing people that are unvaccinated, by the way. If you haven't figured it out yet, I am still proudly unvaccinated. Just saying. I just, I mean, I mean, it's just like a dollar every time a left told me I was going to die for not doing something. I've gotten a little bored with like, you know, the, you're gonna, the internet, there's so many different reasons they tell us we're going to die. Are, and, are you going to reveal tonight that you're a zombie? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, 
you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust my odds, and it just doesn't look like there's any reason. But there is this constant demonizing now of the unvaccinated. Like, they're, on, they're diseased. We're just going to keep blaming the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated is the reason that our lives can't go back to normal. And it, it really begs the question, at what point do people wake up and say, how many times is the government going to keep telling you, if you just do this, your life's going to go back to normal before you realize that you keep just doing this, and your life has not gone back to normal. And I think that that anger that some people that are vaccinated are feeling towards the unvaccinated is because they do feel duped, and they don't want to acknowledge it's because, yeah. you know, yeah, they've been right. lied to, and they fell for the lies. I didn't, you know? And I, I just didn't think that we were going to get our lives back. This is why I think we're making a mistake on the right when we say, oh, Biden says we need to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. He's so senile, and he's obviously saying the vaccines don't work, and there's no logic to what he's saying. There's great logic to what he's saying, because what he's, the language he's speaking isn't English, it's politics. Right. And in the language of politics, what you said, Ben, is true. The vaccinated are the most afraid of COVID. Right. Yeah. And Biden wants to perpetuate that fear. Mm. And so the way that he's perpetuating that fear is to say to the people who are already afraid, the people who don't vote for me are literally going to kill you. You better vote like your life depends on it. Right, right. I, I noticed this phenomenon when some stores said, if you're vaccinated, you can take your mask off. And so, you know, without revealing my medical history, I said, I'm taking this stupid mask off, right? So my friend and I walk in, we did not have the vaccine but we take the mask off. And then we notice this strange thing. Because we talk to a few people, every, just about every single person with a mask on had been vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> and every person without a mask had not. But, yeah. you know, the, what it really comes down to is, again, that Joe Biden and our entire power structure have yeah. lied to the American people. They said that if you give them enough power, they will fix your problems. And then it turns out that they can't fix our problems because nobody can fix most of these problems. It turns out disease is just a human perennial and nobody is capable of fixing disease. It turns out that poverty is a human perennial and no one is capable of fixing poverty. There are certain things we can do to alleviate the consequences of these things, but the permanent state of man is going to be filled with terrible things like disease and poverty and suffering. But there's an entire elite group of people who say that if you give them enough power, they will fix all your problems, and inevitably they will fail. And so then the question becomes, when they, feel, when they fail, what do they do? Do they admit that they've failed and their entire worldview is a lie and they've been lying to you? Or do they say, well, it's just those guys. If it weren't for those guys, then I totally wouldn't be able to fix it. And that's really what Biden is doing with the unvaxxed. What he's really doing right now is he's saying, I... He's saying what, what, what Trump said last year, we have to learn to live with the virus, right? That's the reality. We've all known that's been the reality for a year. And he, he's basically unable to say that because to say we have to learn to live with the virus is to say, I can't solve all of your problems. So his alternative is, hate your neighbor. Don't hate me for lying to you. Hate your neighbor. It's your neighbor's fault. We can't go back to normal. If your neighbor just did what I said, we'd go back to normal. He knows it's not going to work because that's not the point. The point is not getting people back. The point is not getting the economy back to work. The point is control. You but should. hate your number has always been the, that's always, hate your neighbor has always been the Democrat platform. Yeah. That's never, that's not changing because of Biden. That has always yep. been the Democratic platform. Hate your neighbor. Don't look at us. We're not fixing anything with our policies, but we'll tell you who you should hate. Whether it's a white person, a tall person, a rich person, an unvaccinated person, they're always looking at the other person to get people focused on rather than looking at the fact that their policies fail over and over and over again. As a religious person, I'm not afraid of death. But I have a healthy respect for it. <laughs> Which is why I want to tell you about our friends over at Policy Genius. Wow. wow. <laughs> to, quote, to quote a great man, but first. <laughs> but first, facts don't care about your feelings. 
Money can't buy you love. But these ads will pay our daily bills. So honey, 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 listen up. <laughs> A man has certain responsibilities, and one of those responsibilities is to provide for his family, even in his own absence. And that's why you need to go over to Policy Genius so that you can provide that financial support for your children, for, uh, for your, the people who come after you, the people who depend on you, even your business partner. You need a life insurance policy. <laughs> policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? To save money, you can save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts over at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. I've told you guys before, it's a true story. I adopted a beautiful little girl about 15 months ago, and I realized I... I am one step away from being a deadbeat. I have never, <laughs> I've never had any actual responsibility in my life. What if I die? I, it was a, kind of a panic attack, guys. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> but I went over to Policy Genius. I also went to another carrier to see what the kind, you know, you want to compare things. Policy Genius did all the work for me. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In just minutes, you can work out how much insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and the scheduling for free. They don't add on any extra fees. It really is a remarkable service. And I hate to tell you, you really are going to die. <laughs> it, it probably won't be from a COVID car crash. Pro probably. It could be anything, though. Eventually, the Reaper comes for us all. Take care of your loved ones by heading over to policygenius.com and get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. We want to thank, thank our advertisers yeah. from the Daily Wire harmonizers. Yeah! <laughs> you know, you didn't, you, didn't have, you didn't have to spend that money. Knowles and I would have done that for you. <laughs> we already was, have the costumes. That was wonderful. That was like my religion. It was like the voice of angels speaking capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. So we railed on Joe Biden. We had to talk about something a little bit funnier. Uh, sports. <laughs> mm. Yeah. If you have any 10-year-old <laughs> emails that maybe you don't feel great about, my advice is delete them. Yeah. <laughs> this is one thing Hillary got right. You yeah. got to delete those emails. <laughs> Take the <laughs> So it is exciting to learn, but we have learned over the past few years that we live in the greatest time because literally the only good people in history live right now. Yeah, that's right. They live right now. We live among them, and they are, they are like angels walking the earth. They are free of sin. They have, they have never done anything wrong. They've never said anything you wrong. Can't, you can't gaze upon their visage. They cover... <laughs> With the mask. <laughs> it's... It really is truly incredible. And so they'll tear down the statues of people who did amazing things, and they'll yell about getting rid of, of Christopher Columbus. And, they'll, and they will also recognize that 
if somebody sends a private email 10 years ago and it has something untoward in it, that that person must absolutely be wrecked but and just torn to the ground. And especially, I mean, when you think about the unbelievable virtue of the group of people who are really ripping down John Gruden, I'm speaking, of course, about NFL players, because when you talk about, like, the greatest group, like the people you would trust around your wife and your kids, <laughs> right? The, the, the I don't trust of, most NFL players around their wives and kids. <laughs> When, when you talk about the, the sorts of people who just fill you to the brim with optimism for human nature, mm -hmm. you really think about people who clobber each other in the head as often as possible and then disproportionately are arrested for some sort of assault. Yeah. And those are the people who definitely 100% need to be the morality checkers of yeah. the old evil. Well, I, I feel good I, about things. Can I just say, I, we get rid of John Gruden, and then all the NFL and really football locker rooms across the country will be places of PG language mm -hmm. yeah. and yeah. gentlemanly decorum because he's <laughs> the one guy, the one football player, one football coach who has uh, made this mistake clearly, which is, which is why you know, I, I say also to the people that are criticizing John Gruden for the emails that he sent that have been, uh, that have been released by the, the NFL, which by the way, the NFL went through 650,000 emails related to uh, an investigation of the team formerly known as the Redskins, which is a slur now that we're not allowed to say. It's like Prince. Um, had nothing to do with, right, the artist formerly known as the Redskins. Nothing, had, had nothing to do with John Gruden. 650,000 emails, the only ones that get released are, are, are John Gruden's emails. Mm. The, all the people that are criticizing him, what I suggest is this, especially those in the media. Go ahead and uh, publish your Gmail passwords. Yeah. Let, let us comb through you, and we'll be very careful. We'll only look through 10 years of messages. We won't go further than that, I promise. Mm -hmm. And let's see if we can make sure that you have never once said one untoward or ungentlemanly thing in a private message to uh, someone else. That's, that's what, you know, just prove it, that's all. But I find I also I don't know, I don't know if you were watching I don't know if you were watching any of this on TV. John Gruden, of course, for those of you who don't know, never my favorite coach, but he was one of my favorite um, commentators because every word out of his mouth is insane. You can't you cannot, <laughs> you cannot tell what the hell the guy is saying. If you've been watching TV, there are grown men, sportscasters, commentators, crying on television over the words this man spoke that are so offensive to all of us because they were in a private email and he made some comment about, I, what was it about? It was about a black it was about lips. Yeah. The, the original comment that John Gruden made was about uh, remarking on uh, um, that a man's lips were, were big. And, uh, and it just so happens that uh, the man was, was a black man. And so, so that's, that's automatically racist apparently to make um, uh, you know, a comment about, about that, about, about a black man. Now, I have been accused of having lips that are above average <laughs> in terms of the, you know. <laughs> So, so I'm a member of the club of people with a lip circumference that is above average. <laughs> and, you know, people remark on that, it doesn't affect me. But if you make it, when you look at the identities, all of a sudden it becomes racist. And this is what reduced NFL commentators to, to tears. We actually have this clip, I think. For anyone who hasn't seen it, we should play it. I speak about the game of football. I fell in love with the game of football, Sam, at six years old. And I get emotional talking about it because of situations like this. My civil rights were taken, were, 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 were kind of messed with in high school over the color of my skin. And now being able to mm. play 14 years in the National Football League, to have something like this of a leader. We talk about leadership. We give guys these big contracts because they want to be able to lead 70 men, coaches, equipment staff, and managers. 
to the number one goal, and that's to win a championship. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, so this is what I think about. It's like Randy sitting up here feeling this way from a distance. I can't imagine a guy in that locker room today trying to play a football game feeling that way. With a heavy heart. How? Yeah. I don't know. It hurts. I don't know how. This is, <laughs> this is all about lifts, by the way. This is I all, mean, hey, by the way, he, he, uh, Randy Moss doesn't want to move backwards, and so that's why we're talking about a guy's email from 10 years ago, because we don't want to move backwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it's just, it's also this thing where it's like the men, all the emotionality. Like, can I just say on behalf of me, bring back manly men. It's just so pathetic. <laughs> it's getting so pathetic. Um, I am, women are not attracted. I am so, like, I, am I, so I, I, just, I have to say this. Like, I am so Women are not attracted to this. It's, it's this wimpy man that we're producing, and I'm not even talking about just wimpy men, but wimpy women, everyone's offended all the time. It's not attractive. It's not attractive for, for either so, sex to I'm keep so seeing hurt. men talk about their feelings. I'm so hurt. I, nobody cares. You know, you're all over <laughs> Nobody cares. Look what you're doing nobody cares. Through. Come on. Nobody cares. And my suggestion to everyone would be to stop apologizing for such meaningless stuff. I personally, people always say to me, Candace, why don't you go back and, you know, delete the tweet you sent 10 years ago? Did you, did you mean the tweet that you said 10 years ago? I don't know. It was 10 years ago. Maybe at the time I did. Human beings have this idea now in the age of technology that we're not allowed to grow up. There was a time in my yeah. life where I thought Barbies were the coolest thing in the entire world. If I had a Twitter back then when I was four, I would have been like, Barbies is the best thing ever. Now that we've gotten into this habit of saying, well, this is what you thought 20 years ago, so this is what like, you're supposed to think forever. That's not how evolution works. Human beings need to be able to evolve. You, don't, you may say I've evolved since then, but we have to stop apologizing. But the religion of the left has absolutely no room for grace. Yeah. Yeah. The God, the God of the left is an angry God. You know, Roger, Roger Scruton, the late-rate uh, conservative, Roger Scruton said that in order for society to function, you need to have repentance, you need to confess, and you need to have forgiveness. And you, but one side sacrifices his pride, the other side sacrifices his resentment, and then you can move forward together. And what's so weird about that clip to me of the crying f- uh, football player is uh, the, the NFL has had some scandals in, in recent years. The scandals include... A dog fighting rings, wife beating, murder, and uh, mean, uh, politically incorrect emails 10 years ago. And putting Jacob Blake, who had a wielding, they put that on their helmet now. They yeah, put people that are right. committing I mean, crimes so on their the helmets always, now. But, but what's strange to me is, of these scandals, by far the worst one is the politically correct emails. They didn't cry about any of the other scandals. That's it right. It seems a little performative. There's a, there's, a, there's a guy playing for the Kansas City Chiefs right now, Tyree Kill, a wide receiver, uh, he was, he was uh, I don't know if that booze for Tyree Kill or Kansas City Chiefs, but I'll take it either way. Um, <laughs> he, 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 was, he was convicted, he pled guilty, in fact, to, uh, to punching his pregnant girlfriend and choking her. And, and but this, this is the priorities in, in the NFL. And by the way, that, that clip of the sports commentators there, I got into trouble recently when I said that, um, you know, I don't especially prefer female football analysts. And that clip is an example of why, because, I mean, really, they're all females. <laughs> In, in spirit. I agree. In spirit, there, I mean, I'll just, maybe I should just stop there. <laughs> uh, I mean, all I can say, if, that, if I had found out a way to make football players cry in high school, my high school experience would have been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's another angle on this too, which is that people now believe that they should be able to, to go through their entire lives without ever being offended. Yeah. And so let's say that these emails are 10 years old. Let's say that everybody has said things that they wish they hadn't said, or even maybe they don't wish they hadn't said them, but that they probably shouldn't. The things that you were saying, Matt, I agree. I'm also willing to say that the things he said are just wrong and bad. Uh, maybe it was a racial slur that he used. Maybe it wasn't a racial slur. But what the left has created is a world where it doesn't matter if it was or wasn't a racial slur. It is a racial slur because it was, it was received as a racial slur. You know, and this is the problem with raising people to have a victim mentality. The world will always fulfill that view that you've instilled in them. You know, you'll hear people sometimes talk about, you know, on, on television, you know, this black person was mistreated because they were at a store and someone came up and asked them what aisle, you know, the eggs are on. And they're like, I don't work here. You only think I work here because I'm black. Or you'll hear a woman say, you know, I was at the school and somebody came up to me and asked me which way it was to gym class. You're only asking me that because I'm a woman, you know, and you think all elementary school teachers are women. But that only works for people with a victim mentality. All the rest of us know the truth. Almost all of us have been approached in a store and asked a question as though we worked there at some point in our lives. Almost all of us have actually been insulted openly at some point in our lives. The majority of us recognize that that's because life is a messy, messed up, hard place and people are, are flawed and sinful. Only the perpetual victim, the person who has been raised to believe that everything in society is against them, that the system is against them, only they take the normal day-to-day -day bumps and bruises that we all endure and think that that reinforces the absolute evil of American society. But, that, but you, look at, you look at what... Yeah. You look at what John Gruden, you know, his response, and this is, this is the thing that just never gets... It, it, yeah. it can't sink into to most, especially people in media, people in positions of power that are so used to it and so afraid of losing it. But uh, John Gruden apologizes and started, starts begging for forgiveness. And there's no reason to do that. Now, to, to apologize in a situation like this, and I keep on preaching it, there's no reason to do it because, number one, the people who are coming after you are not interested, as we've talked about, they're not interested in forgiveness. They don't care about that. It's just about power and asserting their dominance over you. And number two, all of the people, despite Randy Moss crying there, um, pretending to be, the, he, he's the one who's, uh, who's hurt by a comment made in a private email about someone that wasn't even him 10 years ago. Despite all of that, yep. The people who are pretending to be offended, it doesn't concern them. They were not hurt by it. So if you did something and you actually caused hurt to another person, then you go find that person privately and you apologize. I'm not against apologies, but this public apology deal that people do yeah. needs to be off the table entirely. What John Gruden should be saying, yeah. What, what he should be saying to the public is, listen, all of you, butt out, this doesn't concern you. If you're offended, I don't care. This is not your problem. Focus on something else. I'm not going to, I'm not gonna debase myself performantly by apologizing. Dangles. They dangle the potential for forgiveness yeah. to get you to show them your neck, and then they step on your neck. Yeah. 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 There's something else I think that, that is deeply disturbing and frankly evil about the way that we now approach how we treat other human beings, uh, and, and that is the complete conflation of private and public. Mm. Right? It used to be that in private spaces, you would say things that were impolitic. In private spaces, you would say things that maybe you were thinking, but that didn't belong in the public space. And there was just this acknowledgement that private and public were not exactly the same place. And, and then it came to be seen that private was somehow the more authentic you. 
right? The, more, the less authentic you was who you were in public, but the more authentic you was the person that you were in That's private. Right. And so if we could somehow uncover who you were in private, then we would know the deep secret you, right? Then we would know that's really right. who you are. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Because who you are in private is typically lizard brain you, right? Who you are in private is the person who's unconstrained, who doesn't think about what they're doing, is the person who is actually the least authentic version of you. Because when you're in public, you actually have to balance out the lizard brain part of you with your prefrontal cortex, the part that says, hey, maybe that's a really bad idea and you shouldn't do it. Right? And that part is much more genuine in terms of how you treat people. This is why people actually tend to treat people better publicly than they do privately. Actually. And that is a better measure of who you are because when you die at your funeral, no one who wasn't living in your house knew that you. Everybody knew the you who was out there in public. Does that mean that they knew the inauthentic you? Or is it true that life is a struggle with the parts of yourself that are the basest and making yourself better at those things and we distill the best parts of ourselves when we show that to the rest of the world. And so we ought to actually treat people well based on who they are publicly and less so on who they are privately. Does anybody else get the feeling? Does anybody else get the feeling that we're living in a kind of state of theater, that none of this yes. is actual, actually real? That there are, there are, how many people are actually offended by what John Gruden no. said. I mean, almost, almost nobody. I, you know, and you, when you talk to people on the street, they're not offended. When you talk to people about high crime, do you want more police in your neighborhood? Yeah, we want more police in our neighborhood. We're getting shot up. But on TV and on social media and in this kind of illusion of a world that we're living in, this theater goes on that is destroying, it's destroying people's lives, it's destroying people's careers, but it has no basis in reality. It has no basis in fact. I, I, think, yeah. I, I truly think it's about generating fear in third parties. Well, it is. Right? I, I this is not it, about Gruden. This is about everybody in this room. No. That's right. It's about you guys yeah. feeling you can't say anything that you want, even to your friends. You have to check yourself before you text a friend. You have to check yourself before you send an email. You should clean your emails. You should make sure that you are pristine in all of your dealings just in case on the off chance that some jerk decides to leak your emails to the press. And you can't lead life that way. You really can't. I think, I genuinely think it's, it's, it's in line with a kink. It's a fetish. It's, it's a fantasy. These people like it. There's something voyeuristic and sadistic about it. You want to see people humiliated in public. That's it. You don't care about the apology. You don't care about the person that was potentially offended. It's, there's something that people get, a satisfaction that they get from watching people in public apologize and and they're they're playing a part and and nobody's offended but here's what I will say that does disturb me because I could care less obviously I'm not one to apologize for meaninglessness but I I am impacted by the idea that this next generation coming up, right, this generation that never lived, you know, that doesn't know what it means to not have an iPhone and Instagram, to not have a Facebook. Like, I got to be a kid. I got to be a jerk. I got to try out being mean. I got to say, oh, I didn't like being mean. We didn't have Facebook and Twitter. And I got to just say, whoever Candace was in middle school doesn't matter because now I'm an adult. These kids now are being held to an impossible standard by adults who never had to live in this world. It pisses me off that you have people, like these adults in the room, that are saying everything that you've ever said matters and if you said something when you were in sixth grade, you deserve to have your entire life ruined and your college education taken away from you because you were a bad person. You're stopping children from being able to grow up, and because of that, you're going to see suicide rates grow up. Go up. Yeah. It's horrible. That, yeah. Yeah. Thank God we all grew up on this stage. We all grew up before the internet. Um, <laughs> You know, to be a creep back when I was a kid, you had to mail women pictures that you drew. <laughs> <laughs> it was the weirdest expense. It was expensive. You yeah. had to speak yeah. to parents. Can I talk to so-and-so? Like, you had to talk to parents when I was growing That's up, right. like, on the phone, the landlines. I want to talk about this idea about who is the real us, because I actually think it's got real important ramifications. But first. <laughs> <laughs> but first. 
The time has come for a little fun with an ad or two or three. Cause what other way could we afford to pay for our Cuban cigars and whiskey? <laughs> I told you at the top of the show about our friends over at ExpressVPN, but it's an important question. How do you choose what internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us really we don't have a choice because ISPs operate basically like monopolies in the regions they serve. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers. Data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data to other big tech companies or advertisers. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all of my devices with ExpressVPN. What is ExpressVPN, you ask? Well, it's simple. It's an app for your computer or your smartphone that encrypts all of your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your internet service provider cannot see any of your activity. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Unfortunately, the list of people you've messaged, the sites you've visited, the videos you've watched, they all get tracked by tech giants who can sell your information for a profit. That's why we recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your internet service provider. Download the app, tap one button on your device, and you are protected. We can't emphasize this enough. Every time you use your phone, especially when you're on uh, an airplane, other people on the actual airplane with you can access your data. You need to protect yourself. Go over to ExpressVPN right now. Protect your data from your own internet service provider and from the tech giants who mine your activity. Go to expressvpn.com, expressvpn.com. Keep your data private while you're online. No, we're not here. No, 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 no. To the Pfizer. No mandates here. Just wanna thank. Just wanna thank. Our advertisers. Yeah. Benjamin, you brought up this idea of who is the real you. Is the real you the public you or is the real you the private you? And unfortunately, we all know this in our own families. The people you treat the worst are unfortunately the people you're closest to, the people you love the most. That's uh, not a recommendation. It's just, <laughs> it's just a reality. Uh, there's another variation of that same thing that people do where they'll say, oh, so-and-so, when they were incredibly stressed out at work, they snapped and they said a few things to me. That's how they really feel. So-and-so, when they were a little drunk, said a few things about me. That's the real them. That's how they really feel. So-and-so, when they were extremely tired, that's the real them. That's who they really are. Anytime you, you construct a narrative that makes yourself the victim, I actually believe you're lying to yourself, that you're engaging in an act of self-deception and self-sin, by the way, that can't be applied to you. The thing that the drunk guy says to you isn't what the drunk guy actually believes. What the drunk guy says to you is a part of what the drunk guy actually believes that isn't checked right. by the other things that the drunk guy actually believes. And this, by the way, is actually how the brain works. So Daniel Kahneman, he's a famous Nobel Prize winning economist. He has a, a very good book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And yeah. he basically says there are two parts of your brain. There's the fast part of your brain, which is instinctive and very useful, and was much more useful in sort of caveman days, right? You're walking through the forest and you see something hanging down from a tree. Is it a snake or is it a vine? So you have to make a snap decision and you sort of run because, you know, not worth the risk. Okay, but in modern times, you have the second part of your brain, and this is the considered part of your brain. And that actually has to kick in. And if it doesn't kick in, then you use the caveman part of your brain. Well, is the caveman part of your brain really the true you? 
Or is it the interaction between the unsophisticated you and the more sophisticated you that is the truest version of yourself and that you spend your entire life cultivating? And this, by the way, has ramifications, not just for you know, who is the true you in terms of sending bad emails. It actually has ramifications in terms of COVID, right? Because the fact is that when it comes to COVID, very, most people, I think, are using the lizard part of their brain in terms of how they assess risk about COVID and not the smart part of their brain that kicks in and goes, okay, what are the actual statistical risks here? But it goes, it goes beyond that into just an understanding of the human person as a flawed thing. Yeah. We wouldn't have laws against things if people didn't commit those crimes or want to commit those crimes. We wouldn't have morality. All morality is a check on who we are. All morality is a check on who everybody is. And so when somebody actually lets fly and gets angry and loses control, gets drunk and loses control, he's only being the same as the rest of us when we're not drunk and when we are under control, and that's why we have, that's why we have grace. We have grace because of who we are, and not I think because of the other guy. The, the part of our brain also, talking about brain development, the part of our brain that controls discernment, long-term decision-making, that's not even fully online until the age of 25, which is, which is why, you know, digging through someone's past, I mean, this doesn't apply to John Gruden, who was an adult, but when we dig through someone's past, to, can, to uh, Candace's point, dig through someone's past, going back to when they're, you know, in their early 20s, into their teenage years, I mean, this is someone whose brain was not even fully there yet, and we're, and we're going through and we're looking for it, which is why I agree with Candace, and that's also why I say to parents all the time that, listen, why are you giving your 12-year-old a smartphone yes. with internet access in the first place? Mm -hmm. There's no good reason to do it whatsoever. We could solve a lot of these problems, especially for your kids. But just, right, just no. don't, I mean, that's a, here's the thing, your uh, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid, if you don't give them a phone with internet access, they ain't getting one because they don't have a job. And so you have to make that, <laughs> you, have to make, you have to make an actual financial sacrifice to supply your child with the tool to destroy himself. And that to me doesn't make any sense at all. But this goes, this goes even deeper than all that. I mean, this is the sort of issue where it can dig and dig and dig and dig. And it, it gets to this big cultural obsession of uh, transgenderism, you know, the new ideology that's very fashionable now. And the premise of transgenderism... I'm looking forward to seeing how you got all the way here. No, it, well, the, <laughs> it's very simple. I mean, it's, a very, it's just this basic Gnostic idea that keeps coming up every few hundred years. That I might, I might look like a man... I might talk like a man, I might have an Adam's apple, and I might have suspenders on, and I might look like a fella. But, and I don't know, some people might disagree with that, but that's fine. And, <laughs> but I, I might look like a guy, but if deep down in my secret, most secret knowledge, I think that I am a woman, then I really am a woman. And the physical world and the real world and everything we see and all the behavior we see, that actually doesn't matter at all. And your deepest desires, that, you know, the darkest ones that you don't want to follow, that, that is who we really are. And the public behavior and the physical reality, none of that matters. And it, I think what it ultimately redounds to is this crisis of subjectivism, that the only truth that really matters is that deep, dark truth that only you can access. And it's why, why we're not allowed to disagree with one another even anymore. That, that which is, it's, it's which is the opposite of virtue. I mean, our yeah. hero, Jeremy, and, my, and I love George Washington, who's the image of self-control. I mean, it's not, that he was, it's not that he was a good person all the way through. It was that he actually exercised his will to do virtuous things and to be a virtuous person. And it's why we're all here, because he had the virtue to turn over his sword to the civilian authorities when they would have crowned him king. That takes, that takes inner control, you know? Out of, I've, I've, out always of been, I've always been so jealous that Drew got to meet George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, out of curiosity, because a lot of us have young kids, um, 
Phones, no phones. No What's phones. the decision? No Until yeah. death. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> 18, 18, 19. 18. Uh, we are moving to a cabinet, to a, actually a cave in the woods, and we're not going to have any. <laughs> My kids will not even see another human until they're 45. That's Tin what we decided. Spring, right? yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think maybe when your kid's a teenager, a flip phone might be a good idea so that you can keep track of them. Or a pager. What's wrong a with page, a good pager? Beeper. Pager's good, yeah. I could, yeah, pager's fine. Like the, how about the Gordon Gecko phone from Wall Street? <laughs> exactly. Walking on the beach and it's like the size of a, of a giant phone booth. Yeah. You just have to carry it around. It also works out their muscles. It's good for them. I like it. You, you know, know when, I, when I was a kid, we, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones and we, just, we had the pay phone. And that's when you did the move where you didn't have a quarter, so you called your parents. Collect. collect. Yep. Yeah. And then when they yeah. told you to say your name, you'd say, hey, mom, I'm at the school. Come pick me up. And <laughs> that was the move back then. <laughs> Kids don't know about that anymore. What about you? Uh, uh, well, I'm giving uh, my cute little baby a tin can because I'm very <laughs> traditional. I'm very conservative. And it tethers him to the house then, so I don't need to worry about it at all. Well, you guys know you're not allowed to change your mind, by the way. So yeah. it's 2020. No, no changing your mind down the line. So if your kids have phones, you're going to get called out on the internet. They're going to say, but you said 20 years ago that your kid well, wasn't going to get a phone. Well, children. Have you given them phones yet? Well, my, my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, is in the house. When, when, did, when, did, we, when did we get your phone? When do we get your phone? He's, he can't even talk. He's so traumatized. <laughs> he's, on, he's on his phone right now. He's not paying attention. <laughs> call me. Call me. <laughs> so one of the things we said we were going to do is give you guys updates on some of the announcements that we made last election day. And one of them is that we hired our first investigator. We committed on that day that we were going to get into the investigative news business. One of the reasons is, as you know, a lot of the internet is about the aggregation of news. And, you know, Kara Swisher and, and Kevin Roos and Judd Lumlum and that whole crew, they like to denigrate the aggregation side of our business. They like to give us low scores for aggregating. But it's not fair to say that we aggregate. What we really do is we mine through the investigative work of organizations like the New York Times and try to find out all the ways that they lie. So <laughs> it's not that we're aggregating their stories. It's that we're exposing their stories. But that isn't all of news. And we, we understand that there is... Uh, a lack of investigative reporting that happens on the right. It's the reason that the, one of the reasons the left is so successful uh, at framing the narrative is because they, they actually get to report on the story before we ever get to it. And one of the reasons that there isn't a lot of investigative journalism is on the right is because it's incredibly expensive work. You know, a writer at the Daily Wire can write more than one story a day. You know, if you're involved in a long-form investigative piece, you might not be able to write one story a week. So you can just imagine how difficult it is to monetize that. But one of the things that we have going for us that not everybody on the right has is our badassdailywire.com subscribers. These are the dumb schmucks that give us their money every month. And we can spend it on anything we want. And one of the things we want to spend it on is investigative journalism. So because of our dailywire.com subscribers, we were able to hire our first investigative journalists. And uh, it's been going remarkably well. We, we intend to continue to do it, to expand it. And we had one of the biggest stories yet that we've been able to break just in the last 24 hours. And the best person to talk about it because, and in fact, we have a few dailywire.com subscribers here tonight who are from Loudoun County, Virginia. Yeah. 
which means, obviously, which means they're neighbors of Matt Walsh, <laughs> who is also a resident of Loudoun County. And I'm sure you tracked the story. You couldn't have turned on a television in the last several weeks without seeing the, the man who was ejected, a father who attended a Loudoun County school board meeting, who was ejected and arrested while at the school board meeting. And the, the school board meeting was there. They were discussing transgenderism uh, and, and other issues that were being taught in the school. Uh, and you, as you know, that, according to our attorney general, uh, is an act of domestic terrorism to have any opinion about what teachers teach your kids in public schools. And so this, this father was arrested and, I know, I know. Hey, he could have been on the Supreme Court. Uh, go Mitch McConnell. Yeah. This particular, uh, this particular father was ejected and ridiculed by the media, humiliated by the media. You know, just the video shown over and over and over. Well, as it turns out, one of our dailywire.com investigative journalists got in touch with this pariah of a man, this man who's been ostracized across our society, and asked him, you know, the simple question, complex for a journalist, I know, uh, but hey, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and holy crap, what happened? As it turns out, according to, uh, according to this father and according to his attorney with whom we've spoken, and some parts of this still have to be corroborated. Investigative journalism takes time, and it takes time to completely vet some of these uh, stories. But according to the father and according to his wife and according to his daughter and according to their attorney, uh, this man's daughter was raped in her school bathroom by a male student who likes to wear dresses to school. Now, you might think that a little piece of context like that might help inform the story of the very, very angry man who thinks that his school isn't doing a good job of telling the truth about transgenderism uh, in public schools. I mean, well, but what actually set him off is that the Loudoun County school board members were saying that there had been no record that's right. of any girl in school being assaulted in a bathroom by a boy. Yeah, well, and sorry. obviously, they apparently had record of this. I mean, he talked pretty openly to... Yeah, allegedly he, he went he to the police, went to the police. The police have record of, of all of this sort of stuff. There's record of him getting in a, a confrontation with members of the school who had called him yes. there to discuss the incidents. And then they downplayed the incidents, allegedly. It's, it's a mess. So if it turns out that this guy who's made the face of American domestic terrorism was yep. actually a father who was enraged over the fact that the school board was downplaying the alleged rape of his daughter. Wow. That's a pretty unbelievable By the way, apparent story. Uh, Shout out to Luke Rosiak, the name of our investigative Luke Rosiak, journalist, our by the investigative way. Journalist. Luke, bask in it, my friend. No one will ever clap for you again. <laughs> <laughs> no, one, no one claps for investigative journalists. It's a very important story. Uh, part of, by the way, part of the allegation is that the school board did move this student to another school within their jurisdiction where he was arrested for assaulting another girl. Wow. Yeah. Why do stories like this matter? You don't need me to tell you why stories like this matter, right? Stories like this matter because the left is engaged in wholesale rewriting of reality right before our eyes. And there's absolutely no way to fight back against it if we don't have the truth, if we don't know what's going on, if you don't hear the reality of these situations then it's very easy for us to just lose and lose. You may hear a story and go, eh, there's got to be more to that. But if you never hear what the more is, 
then we're just gonna keep losing. So thanks to our dailywire.com members for making it possible for us to engage in that kind of. And Matt, what is going on in your hometown? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I, I do identify as trans-Virginian, so please get it. <laughs> please respect my identity. Trans-Virginians are yeah. real Virginians. I <laughs> think we all I, always, I felt like a Virginian trapped in a Tennessean's body, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's, what's, what's important to understand with this story is that the Loudoun County School Board was pushing this policy of opening up the bathrooms and allowing males into the female bathrooms. And while that was happening, this girl was allegedly raped in a bathroom during school hours in a Loudoun County school by a boy. And uh, the school, what they, what they told the father, according to the father, is that they wanna keep it in-house. They wanna keep the issue in-house. Hmm. Which we know, in, institute, we've seen this with, with many institutions, including a lot of public schools, in the Catholic Church, we've seen in many institutions where in Hollywood, you know, they, they, want, they want to keep these issues in-house because they don't want it to get out. And um, so it's important to understand that they were pushing this, this, this uh, opening the bathroom thing. The rape happens. The father shows up at the school board meeting and says, here's what happens to my daughter. Gets very upset, understandably, like any father would. I mean, I've got two daughters. And this father showed up at the school board meeting ready to turn over tables, which is exactly what I would have done. Uh, what any father would have done. But even knowing this, they, st they still, even knowing it happened, they still passed the policy afterwards saying, we're going to let boys into the girls' bathroom. And then what they did in the, in the Loudoun County School District is at that point, they said, oh, you know what? Um, we've also decided we're going to kick the public out of the public school board meetings. You've got to stay outside. And uh, if you are going to come speak to us, you have exactly 60 seconds to say anything, which means, of course, you know, you can't nothing. say anything. There's, there's nothing you can say in 60 seconds. So they did all of this, which I think is a pretty clear effort to uh, cover up this issue and to, not, and, to, and to avoid talking about it. And this is why, you know, this is, this is what we have to understand. If you send your kids to public school, you know, there are good teachers out there. There are, there are good school board members out there. Of course. But you have to understand that many of the people running these schools... They don't care about the safety of your children. They don't even care about educating your children. What they care about is a certain ideology, a certain religion that they have invested themselves in. And what they consider the best thing for your child and for society is to make sure that your child is, uh, is indoctrinated into that religion. And everything else, everything else comes second. And that's something to keep in mind before deciding whether to send your kid to public school in the first place. You know. So much I could say there. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I think that's probably been the most important topic to me this year, especially just becoming a mother, just talking about what's happening inside of the public school system. And I think every single one of my episodes, I'm encouraging mothers to pull their kids out of public school systems because I don't think, I, think, I don't think we're at a point right now where it can be changed. I, I, I think it's gone so radical. It's gone so far left. I mean, to hear the story is horrifying. I mean, you would think that they would at least honor the fact that this, they, they had no problem painting him as an absolute monster. They allowed this lie to, to just exist in the media, and they actually used that lie, similar to what they did in January 6th. The lie got so big in the media that informed policies that shouldn't have happened. And I'm, I'm referring, ob obviously, of course, to virtually everything you were told happened on January 6th. Someone was bludgeoned to death. A police officer was beat to death with, you know, a fire extinguisher. Well, they don't care what they're saying. They have to tell you all of these lies so that they can then put in place the policies that they already wanted to put in place. Like, put up the fences, say that this is a form of domestic terrorism, that Trump rallies are domestic terrorists, and now you're seeing this happening in the school system. And I'm, and I'm, 
I don't want to say I'm happy that it's happening, but I think it's a unique opportunity to awaken a lot of moderate Democrats who weren't aware of what we were talking about because they bought into the January 6th, everyone is a Trump supporter, is a domestic terrorist, and people were bludgeoned to death with, with fire extinguishers, whatever. But now they're seeing in real time that you have parents who are genuinely just trying to say, this is not a good choice for my, for my child. And you have Merrick Garland, who received a letter from the SBA, right? In this letter, he highlighted this example that you're talking about. Now these, these instances have become unruly, and they evidence, the SBA evidence that exact circumstance you're talking about, people are getting arrested, absent any data, and he's saying, well, now we need the FBI to look at these parents. We need to, to take a look. We need to put together a cell, take a look at the domestic. It's rising to the level of domestic terrorism was the exact language that was used. This is the idea that we've been talking about as conservatives for a very long time. Now everybody who's against the state is a domestic terrorist, right? If you're unvaccinated, you're an domestic terrorist. They're calling unvaccinated people domestic terrorists. Did you show up for a Trump rally and didn't even walk into the Capitol? You're, an, you're a domestic terrorist. Are you a, 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 an adult that's concerned about what your child was learning in school? and you maybe don't think they should be told to, to be sexualized and looking at pornography and picking their genders, well, congratulations, you're a domestic terrorist. And at the time, and at the same time, what they're really doing is just growing the state. How many more departments yeah, do they need right. to yeah. keep looking in to all of these different forms of domestic terrorism? It's very scary stuff, and we have to keep talking about it. There is a real irony here, too. That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And there's a real irony to this, which is that I think conservatives bear a little bit of responsibility for all of this. You know, conservatives very often will say, I, look, I've been guilty of it myself in the past. I'll say things like, we want to educate children, not indoctrinate children. In fact, those words mean exactly the same thing. Right? You know, we want to teach children how to think, not what to think as if you can know how to think without knowing what to think about certain things. You can't know how to think about abstract mathematics if you don't know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. You need to know that the American Revolution started in 1776 in order to think about history. You need to know certain things. And there's this real irony that, that conservatives have adopted this idea of, and have really embraced the idea of academic freedom to this radical extreme that teachers can teach radical racial theories, radical sexual theories. The conservative movement began when William F. Buckley Jr. wrote a book called God and Man at Yale, making fun of this perversion of academic freedom. But we don't actually believe that teachers should teach critical race theory in schools. I mean, right now in Brooklyn, in preschools in Brooklyn, they are teaching children radical gender theory that little boys can be little girls to four-year-old children in Brooklyn. That should not be taught. Teachers who teach that should be fired because any education is going to teach... They should be arrested. They, they should, should be, be arrested. arrested. You're ruining a child's life. They should be shot into the sun, actually. I don't know what yeah. Because... Because all education is going to tell you this thing is true and this thing is false and this is good and this is bad. And so you've got to have a vision of that that either is a good vision of it or that is false and wrong. Uh, I will say that I think that the left has become pretty open about the fact that they're not even interested in any even basic form of education at this point. That yep. these really have become just indoctrination centers for a particular set of values. And, and you can see that in, for example, Bill de Blasio's move to get rid of charter, to get rid of magnet schools in New York, right? We're just gonna get rid of- Standardized tests are showing that. They're right. getting dumber. They're right. getting dumber they're every getting year. They're getting stupider. And, and the teachers unions are happier about this. And you have Terry McAuliffe in your home state of Virginia telling people <laughs> that parents really should have no say in what their kids learn. I mean, it's kind of an insane thing and people say it out loud. You know, I recently debated Anna Kasparian on some of these issues and 
Anna openly said that she thinks that we should outlaw private schools and homeschools in the United States, and it should be only government schooling available in the United States, specifically because society at large has a stake in your child. Society cares about your child. Well, whenever somebody says that sort of crap that society cares about my kid, I have the same response that Phil Graham once had about that, which was, okay, name my kids. Yeah. Right? If you, if you, if you say that you care about my kids more than I do, I, I'm like, what are their names? I want to talk a little bit about what we do about all of this. But first. <laughs> but first, we're pausing the show to make some dough, cause we're all shameless and greedy. So listen now, cause it's really how the God King will take us all to Tahiti. It's not true, I'm not taking any of you to Tahiti. <laughs> the good news is I'm not going to do a full ad read because our next sponsor was too cheap to buy an ad <laughs> on tonight's show. But they weren't too cheap to buy plane tickets and fly here to attend tonight's show. So I feel that I owe them a little bit of a shout out. Uh, they were one of our very, very first advertisers. It's our pals over at Legacy Box. When Ben and I and Drew were still making podcasts in my pool house, I was busy trying to find someone, anyone, who might uh, actually advertise on our shows. Uh, my business partner, Caleb Robinson, also here tonight. Caleb. I don't clap for him, but I'm glad. <laughs> Caleb was cold calling every uh, advertiser and advertising agency in the country, being told that our shows couldn't possibly have any value. Uh, and then we got a knock on the door from our friends over at Westwood One, and one of the very first advertisers that they introduced us to was Legacy Box. These guys have been great. They've been on board from the very beginning. It's not just that they're one of our very oldest advertisers. They're one of our best advertisers in terms of working with us, helping us optimize uh, our ads. And so I'm just going to tell you in absolute good faith, if you've never used Legacy Box, you have to do it. It's an absolutely amazing service that these guys provide. It used to be when you were uh, in the early aughts, you know, you had your high school yearbook or grandma's photo album, and you would have to take it down to like the local craft mall and find that one teenage kid whose voice was still breaking and get him to go through and use the scanner. And you'd think, I could probably do this, but then you'd buy a scanner and realize that, no, that kid actually has one up on you. There's no way you could do it yourself. Legacy Box just took that service and made it into an amazing national product. Legacy Box is your chance to have all your aging tapes, films, and photos digitally preserved. So the ability to, to relive your family history is never lost because of a leaky pipe or a, or a fire or any of the other things that might melt your tape. The service couldn't be simpler. Use their kit to safely send the moments you want preserved. Their team will create a digital archive and hand it right back there to you. They do it right here in the state of Tennessee, USA. You'll receive your brand new copy stored on the cloud, on a thumb drive, or on a DVD, along with all the original media that you sent them. With their tracking system, you can follow every step of the process so that you always know your originals are being taken care of. Once you have your digital versions, you can relax, knowing that they'll be secure for generations to come. Order in minutes, enjoy forever. Head over to LegacyBox.com. Check out their latest offers, LegacyBox.com leave a hateful note about how they didn't actually pay for this ad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our generous advertisers, we get paid, paid to be polarizers. Hey. 
Talking about what we do about this problem with our schools brings to mind one of the few good sides of this pandemic we've been in, that, uh, you know, God, the still reigning and undefeated king of the universe, uh, (laughs) has... has, has, Applause for God, guys. Yeah, that's... Give it up for God. (laughs) (laughs) Has has performed his famous party trick of pulling good out of evil, out of the (laughs) stupidity and corruption and evil of human beings. They shut down our economy, they put people out of work, they shut down our schools, they put kids in this terrible position. And in all of that, a lot of moms went home and a lot of kids learned online where the moms could see what the hell was going on. And these people, you know, Kansas is right about this. Some of the people fighting about this in Loudoun and Fairfax County, Virginia, they're, they're Democrats. They are Democrats. They're all colors. They're all, you know, different kinds of people. They're coming from all different places, and they're saying no. And this is an, you know, when when the feminists say to you, the leftist feminists say to you, oh, you're just a mom. You're just a homemaker. You know, you, you need to get out and go to work. This is why they say that to you. This is why they degrade and denigrate the, the rule of moms that is the center of every civilization. It is the creative force and the uh, sustaining force of civilization. And everything. I was just. Uh, the point that you're making about how you know, Democrats are out there at these school board meetings. Now, the Virginia race for governor right now, if Glenn Young can somehow pulls that out, you know, a lot of people are worried about the Biden agenda. If Glenn Young can beat Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, the Biden agenda is finished. Yeah. That's right. So, and this does speak to this vast disconnect that now exists in the Democratic Party between the people who drive the policy and even Democratic Party voters. And it is a vast disconnect. I mean, there are a bunch of people at the, who staff up Democratic progressive groups who are college-educated idiots who believe the most radical things, and they're the ones who are crafting policy that affect parents and kids and all the manufacturing base and all of the people who are not earning $100,000 a year to sit behind a keyboard somewhere in an air-conditioned apartment in Brooklyn and have their rent paid for by mommy and daddy's trust fund, right? The, the people who actually have to suffer under these policies are going to rebel against this. The Democratic Party is completely disconnected. This is the part of the Biden presidency that's so bewildering. The man was elected to do two things. One, not be alive, and two, not be radical. And he's only fulfilled one of those promises, right? <laughs> and because, because he is being so radical, I mean, he was elected specific. Remember, Bernie Sanders was going to be the Democratic nominee. Like an overt socialist was going to be the Democratic nominee. And Joe Biden's entire pitch was, I may be dead, but at least I'm not that old bat socialist, right? And then he gets into office, and he is acting like the old bat socialist. And so the entire country, I think, is, I mean, you see his approval ratings are, are in the toilet. Unlike President Trump, he has no floor, right? Trump had a floor and a ceiling. Biden doesn't really have a ceiling because he doesn't have a ceiling, but he really has no floor, which means he is not a 40% president. There is a, there's a way that this presidency goes south faster than that, and he ends up well into the 30s. I think 2022 is going to be a disaster for the Democrats. I think 2024 has every possibility of being a full-scale disaster for Can I just talk about the bad news for a second? <laughs> you, Matt? Yeah. No. Uh, if, we're, if we're discussing what can be done about the problem, the bad news is that, uh, and this is, maybe it's not bad news depending on your perspective, but the public school system cannot be saved, I believe. It cannot be saved. It is irreparably broken. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that doesn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to these school board meetings, lots of us are going to school board meetings, and that's a great thing to do. 
But when I show up to a school board meeting, I consider it like trying to patch a dam that is going to fail eventually. Um, and and that's, there's, there's, a va- there's a real value in that because you're giving people time to get out right. from the flood zone. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but the, the, the school system itself is totally run by the system. And the system is, it's a left-wing system. And uh, so what that means is that the ultimate solution is for us to take control of our kids' education ourselves. I mean, Michael's right that we're not deciding whether or not our kids are going to be indoctrinated. We're deciding basically who is going to do the indoctrinating. In what? And, and, and the, the awakening that's happening for a lot of parents right now around, this, around, the, uh, around the country with these school board meetings, I mean, I've heard people compare this to sort of the new Tea Party movement, and I think it is in a lot of ways. There's an awakening where people are realizing that, wait a second, I'm sending my kid to a government building for seven hours a day, five days a week, nine months a year for 12 or 13 years of their formative years. Um, that's what I'm doing. And, and that means that my government has, has a, the government has an enormous amount of control over not just what my kids are taught, but the kinds of people they become. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be any time in the foreseeable future when we can actually trust the government to form and shape our kids, which means that the ultimate solution is that we take control as parents of our kids' education. Right. Yeah. And I want- that's but what that's, we have to do. But that's not, why is that, I don't understand why that's bad news. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I agree. I obviously agree with that. But I, I do think we need to go further, too. One thing the left does really well is everything. They're, re- not, they're not they're good so at like good running at a society or having a flourishing life or anything like that, but they're really good at politics. And so what the left can do is they deal with the cultural issues and they also deal with the political issues. And they win in the movies and they win in the elections too. And so, yes, I think we need to take control of our kids' education. We need to homeschool. We need to send them to private schools. We need to push for charter schools. But we also need to go into these government schools. We need to fire bad teachers. We need to boot out and protest these terrible school board members. We need to kick out CRT, kick out radical gender theory and t- demand that our students are taught true things. Okay. The only... It's so... It's so rare that Michael makes a good point that I feel like we should... I feel like we should end the act. With that, we're going to go backstage at the Ryman, here at Backstage at the Ryman. We're going to give you a chance to go get some booze, take a few photos, and help us sell out all of our merch so that my dad doesn't have to help us carry it all back to the office. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to give you the world premiere of the trailer to our new movie, Shut In. (laughs) Because we have to win in the culture, too. You can't save a culture by losing the culture. Uh, And we're also going to maybe bring out a little special guest and take questions from you, the people. So get up, use the restroom, but be back in your seat in 15 minutes. We'll be right back. Hello, Nashville. Ryman Auditorium. This is a classic from our first album. Sing along if you know the words. Longest night I remember The winter of 65 You called me up from your mama's house And you said goodbye
if we only come together again Working girls on Somerset did their best to keep me alive
Motorola. Wow. Thank you. What a wonderful performance. Thank God Johnny Cash is dead. Because if he would have seen that, he would have never stopped throwing up. A lot of diversity in the crowd tonight. I haven't seen this many white people since the Oak Ridge Boys played Sturgis. Ben Shapiro, everybody, love that guy, right? I've known Ben for a long time. I first uh, met Ben when he was 11 years old. He was a junior at UCLA. <laughs> ben is so damn smart, right? Now picture this, I'm a D-minus student and Ben's Doogie Howser, and about three years ago, we both had to address Congress together. And I said, who's going first? They said, Ben goes first, then you go. Ben has five pages, single space, typed both sides. He's gonna mow through it. I have a cocktail napkin. <laughs> with a happy face drawn on it. Going after Ben Shapiro when you're addressing Congress is like going after an Indian kid at a spelling bee. Unless you dodged a bullet and get an American Indian kid, in which case... Well, let's face it, you'd be relieved. I'm not, I'm, that's all I'm saying. Ben keeps saying to me, Adam, when are you going to leave California? You've got to leave California, man. Nashville is so great. When are you leaving California? I go, I got twins, they're in high school, but I will be pulling up to their graduation in a U-Haul. <laughs> I'm not even gonna watch them graduate, I'm just gonna honk the horn, run for the truck! <laughs> Getting out of this dump. Gavin Newsom, our governor of California. They tried to recall him a month ago, you know, and everyone was saying to me, who do you want to replace Gavin Newsom? And I was like, I don't care, an empty banjo case. <laughs> One of those plastic owls they put on top of the sign at the, at the seafood restaurant so seagulls won't crap on it. Anything would be better than Gavin Newsom. A lot of issues going on in California. A lot of issues going on at the border, man. The border's rough. Everyone's like, you hear these people, we gotta abolish ICE. All right, AOC, Ilhan Omar, we gotta abolish ICE, right? Everyone wants to abolish ICE. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it stands for, it's an acronym, Immigration Custom Enforcement, ICE, right? And everyone's like, we gotta abolish ICE. So I'm like, why do we have to abolish ICE? Men and women, you know, customs, they enforce the law. Like, why do we have to abolish ICE? Why, why do all these politicians on the left hate ICE? so much and then i realized it's the name they hate the name ice it sounds so cold and 
impersonal and jagged. Remember uh, Top Gun, Val Kilmer, Iceman, biggest douche in the air, right? <laughs> biggest douchebag in the air. So realize they hate the name and I figured out a way to save ICE. It's Immigration Customs Enforcement ICE. If you want to save it, all you have to do is start it with the word national. <laughs> national Immigration Custom Enforcement NUX. He's a nice agent. Good luck abolishing nice, AOC. Have fun running on that platform. It'd be a great recruitment tool, right? You get the windbreaker that just said nice agent on the back of it. You could do whatever you wanted, right? Once you had the nice agent windbreaker, you could do whatever you wanted. It'd be like, uh, what's that nice agent doing over there beating the crap out of that Guatemalan grandmother? I don't know. She must have done something wrong. <laughs> He's a nice agent. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. All right, it works. Yeah. About time. <laughs> yeah. You know there's no God because it didn't cut out during Jeremy's performance. <laughs> Let's hear it for Adam Carolla. So I'm sure it's obvious by now that mostly this show is just us showing off. Uh, but it's not, we didn't only bring Adam out here so that we could say, hey, look, we're friends with Adam Carolla. We also wanted to tell you that, hey, look, we're going to do a show with Adam Carolla. I am a tickled pink. I, I just, I love what you guys are doing. Obviously, I've been watching for a long time. I see how you guys are growing by leaps and bounds. It is so... It is so impressive, and for outliers like myself in Hollywood who are, you know, always in danger of being wished out into the cornfield by the folks that never stop complaining about McCarthyism, it's nice, but it's mostly satisfying, and somehow you rest assured when you guys are doing what you're doing, like going out there and just starting your own, you know, hanging your shingle and starting your own business and having a place for voices that may not be along the mainstream. Obviously, Adam, you're one of the first guys who really got into this podcast space and really blazed a trail. And for Ben and I coming up, it was really uh, so important to see that someone can go out and just actually do something. And one of the things that I talk about all the time, you know, I mean, Ben, you know, graduated from high school when he was seven and a half years old, wrote his first book when he was 14, uh, won his first Pulitzer Prize when he was... For me, I didn't, you know, I'm not a college guy. Uh, I, I'm a guy who just thought, I wonder how many times I can fail in a row before they let me, make me stop trying. And it turned out the answer was never. They just keep letting you try and try and try. And so what I think in this, in this moment of cancel culture, in this moment where they're pushing people out, 
uh, you know, we were talking a minute ago about what can you do. One of the things that you can do is just do. Just get out there and do something. You did that. We're doing it. We're glad to be doing it with you. Well, you know, safety in numbers. You know, we always kind of talk about this COVID thing and what are we going to do? And the answer is, you know, I'm from California. And when Newsom was closing down outdoor dining, I was yelling, don't do it. Just don't do it. Just if nobody comply, if nobody complies, you'll be like, be you do it one at a time, you'll get picked off. You have yep. to stay in the pack. You start falling behind the hyenas, we'll get you. And California, they're so soft over there that only one place basically defied them, and they shut them down and put a fence around the business, pulled this license, they're out of business now. But if everyone would just step up and do it, there's safety in it. And I feel there's more and more voices. I mean, I, I, I will credit you guys to a large extent in making it safe for people to speak out who never felt safe speaking out before. So, now this mic is working, uh, which just demonstrates that Jeremy was indeed in charge of, of all the mics, because <laughs> of all three of us. Uh, and, and I will say that I, I There actually, is a God, and he's Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I, uh, what I actually want to ask you about is what your show's going to look like. Because basically what Jeremy came to me with was two options. One was an extension of Smokey Mike and the God King. And the other was literally anything else. And the literally anything else, it turns out, was your show. And so I want to hear about what that's actually going to be like. It's pretty awesome. All right. Well, we're going to call it uh, Adam Carolla Truth Yeller because I tend to get fired up on stage. I'm going to invite my comedic friends. Um, I have uh, Jay Leno is going to join me on the first show. And uh, Rob Riggle, veteran, by the way, is going to join us as well. And I go out and I do about 10 minutes of stand-up at the start, just like I did tonight. And then we'll do a quick interview of Jay or whomever the guest is. And at some point, we'll pull balls out of a hopper. Now, before the show, everyone writes one word down on a ball. Just a single word on a ball. It'll go into a hopper. It'll be like a lotto. And... The guest will pull the ball, read the word, and I'll do an improvised stand-up set on that one word with an assist by, with them. Awesome. So this is what we've been talking about. It's not just about news and commentary. If you want to influence the culture, you got to make some culture. We're grateful that Adam's going to come make a little bit of culture with you, uh, with us, and we hope you guys like it. It'll be coming this year. Yeah, yeah. and we have uh, two live shows. You're going to be in SoCal. I hope you're not because it's miserable over there. But... <laughs> If you have to go to SoCal, we're doing uh, October 30th at the Bray Improv. Leno will be there, and Rob Riggle will be there, and we're doing two. We'll tape our first two shows that night. Awesome. Adam Pearl, everybody. Adam Thanks, Pearl. you guys. Thanks, guys. So as I said at the beginning of the show, it's important to us here a year after all of our big announcements to show you that we have made some progress. Obviously, Adam doing a comedy series with us is something that we're incredibly excited about. I know there's one other thing uh, that we've been promising for since February, and you haven't gotten an update on it since then. So we have one more great update for you from our friend Gina Carano. Hi, JDY members. This is Gina Carano. I'm coming to you from the set of Terror on the Prairie. Um, we came up to Montana, and it is absolutely God's country. We're making new friends. 
We've attracted the most incredible cast and crew, and, and a hell of a director. We're going to make a great, great movie. Um, I, I'm in love with the script. I'm in love with the character. I'm living fantasy right now. So um, I can't wait for you guys to see it. After we announced our first project this summer, the Hollywood Union started debating vaccine mandates for cast and crew. And I wasn't into that. I don't believe anybody gets to make your medical choices for you, and I'm not willing to force masks and vaccines on anyone else. Thank you to all the Daywire members. You guys have been an extended family. Uh, thank you to, to you know, everybody for making this possible. Without you, I, I don't know where I'd be right now. And right now, there's no other place I'd rather be. So. I hope everybody is doing well. Um, keep fighting, stick together. We got this, never give up. So as Gina was saying, we had actually selected a completely different film. We even announced the film that we were going to make. We were very excited about it. And then Hollywood decided that maybe they would force masks and force vaccines on the crew. And Gina walked into my office here in Nashville and said, nah, I'm not doing that. Uh, we're going to have to find a different movie. And I said, Gina, you, you're a member of the union. Your union is, is the problem. She said, to hell with it. I'll quit my union. Let's make a movie up in Montana where they can't get after it. So the film is called Terror on the Prairie, and it started production yesterday in beautiful Montana. And it'll be coming to you in March or April of 2022. And now, because this is Daily Wire Backstage, and because Backstage is a show where we like to interact with our dailywire.com subscribers who make all of this possible, we're going to take some questions from you guys. My name is Allison Book. I'm 22 from New York. And my question for the group is, what is the best example of societal slash cultural decline in our society? And why is it TikTok? <laughs> what is the best example of what? I'll throw this one to you, Matt. What is the surest sign of cultural decline and why is it TikTok? <laughs> uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the worst sign of cultural decline, and why is it TikTok? Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, what's the worst sign of cultural decline? I mean, I, I, TikTok is a, good, is a good suggestion, but, um, you know, I think, I've said for a long time, I honestly believe this, that the, the, the first sign, really, was when we all started abandoning our carts in the, uh, in the shopping... In, in, the, in parking the parking lot. lot of the grocery store. I, I believe that's a, that's a, because it's a, it's a small thing. It's a small effort that you make for your fellow man. And if you're not willing to make that effort, then uh, I, I think it, I think it shows a, something. It's like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I return my cart for you and you return your cart for me. It's like, it's like, this is no country for old men. Once they, once they leave the carts out in the parking lot, all, everything else falls apart. I, I, I was firmly convinced you were going to say, when men believe they are women and vice versa. That also is an issue. Yeah, things aren't going great. Next question. 
Hi, I'm Brad from uh, Dry Ridge, Kentucky. I was just wondering how bad do you think it's going to have to get on the border before the administration actually does something about it? All, all the way bad. Uh, I'm from West Texas. Uh, I'm actually from a very small town called Slayton, Texas, but it's outside of a, of a town called Lubbock, Texas. And we think of Lubbock as a city. And we think of it as the city because it has things like restaurants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lubbock has a population of, you know, a little over 200,000 people. So it really stood out to me three months ago when 200,000 illegals crossed our southern border. And an entire American, uh, you know, mid-sized American town worth of people crossed the border into our country. You can't add entire towns every month and say, how bad can it? It's already as bad as it can get. They're not going to do anything because this isn't an accident. This is by design. The left, starting with Teddy Kennedy, formulated a plan to change the nature of the voting uh, of who gets to vote in America. They realized Americans just weren't going along with their programs. And they said, well, fine, to hell with Americans. We'll bring in people who will vote uh, for the programs that we support. And they're doing it. That, that's what we're living through. We're living through the actual results of uh, of a deliberate action by the Democrats to change the nature of America by way of the vote. So this is what the left is good at. This is what the enemy of man is good at, is taking things that are good and using them for evil. And one of the great things about our country is our, is our expansiveness, is our openness, the fact that it has been a country largely settled by immigrants uh, for, throughout all of our history. That used to be a great thing about America. But like every good thing, when it's used incorrectly, it becomes a very bad thing. When you're importing people who don't, you know, back, you know, Lady Liberty, you know, she has the poem, and it's, it basically it says, give me the people, give me the poor who are longing to be free, poor spirits. That's a great motto. What we have now is we're importing people who don't long to be free. They long for free stuff. And when you import people who long for free stuff, freedom's not going to endure very long. Next question. <laughs> Hello, my name is Heather Idells. I am from Queens, New York. There are so many of us who are closet conservatives. How do you feel we would better be able to come out and not be closets anymore? I have bad news. You are no longer closeted. A million people are watching this. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, I think this is a good question for you. Yeah, I used to get this in Hollywood all the time. I would walk into meetings, and some guy would come out of the back office and sit down and whisper to me, oh, I saw you on Hannity last night. You were great. And I would say, why are you whispering? We're in the right, you know? Yeah. And, and the thing is, he was whispering because he was afraid. But all of us, well, not all of us, but many of us here belong to a group in Hollywood that was supposed to be a secret group of, of conservatives. We were called the Friends of Abe because they used to call gay people Friends of Dorothy uh, in the old days. And now that it's not shameful to be gay, but it is shameful to be conservative, we call ourselves Friends of Abe. And, and the problem with it was, is because no one would come out and be out in the open, it eventually faded away. And if you don't speak out, and if you don't put yourself out in the open, and if you don't take the risk, it all will die. Everything we believe in will die if you don't speak up. And so and, and so the, ter the terrible, terrible answer to this question is, you gotta have guts. You got to, because you know, this thing, 
we're doing culture here. I'm so thrilled to see this happening. I can't tell you. It's a drum I've been banging forever. But everybody, everybody's part of the culture. You've all got the, our culture in your hand like a little flame, and you got to keep it burning, and you got to show it to people. You can't hide it away, and you can't let it go out. And it's each one of us has to do it. And I'm sorry, but it takes courage, and it takes risk, and it's going to cost you, but it's got to be done. My name is Alex Litzaw. I'm from Olathe, Kansas. My question is, if you could remove one person from office, who would it be and why? Also, let's go Brandon. <laughs> Michael, you're the, you're the politician. Thank you. Is that, I think that's an insult. I don't know if that's a compliment. The question is, who should we remove from office? Yeah, if you one politician. One. The most powerful politician in the country. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Dr. Fauci. What are you talking about? Do you think it's Biden? Biden doesn't know what end is up. Biden barely remembers chocolate, chocolate chip. You think it's Kamala Harris? Kamala Harris is the least likable person and probably the least powerful person in Washington. Uh, Joe Biden obviously doesn't like her. He keeps giving her all the least popular issues. It's Fauci. And Fauci is a representative. He's a bad guy in and of himself, but he's a representative of a bigger problem, which is that unaccountable bureaucrat. What is it? Something like six presidents have come and gone. He's now on his seventh. And by the way, Dr. Fauci is going to be there after this one, too. Oh, yeah. You can't get rid of him. He is utterly unaccountable. He rules by caprice. One day, don't wear the masks. The next day, wear the masks. And if you don't, you're a murderer. And, and the, we don't want vax mandates. We need vax mandates. And it just doesn't matter. He licks his finger in the morning, figures out which way the wind is blowing. That's how he governs. That is a grave threat to the republic. And that guy's got to go. Hi, my name's Tim. I'm stationed outside of Seattle, Washington. I've been in the military for 17 years. My question to the group is what advice do you have to service members that are serving uh, in the military that you know, want to honorably serve and do this for the right reasons, but they're starting to lose faith in the leadership of our organizations and our administration? Do not leave the military. That's my answer. The, the in the military, you make a decision to give something up, right? We're all free because the people in the military aren't. They make a decision to give up some of their freedoms and go into an organization that does have very authoritative control over the people who serve. Uh, but they do that. They make that sacrifice so that we can all be free. And one of the parts of that sacrifice is, this is not enough, I know this won't be popular, the military can tell you to take a vaccine, for example. I know this because if you ever served in the military, they make you take, I'm not kidding, dozens and dozens and dozens of vaccines. If you serve overseas, you get vaccine after vaccine after vaccine. It's a sacrifice to be in the military. But if you resist that to the point of getting out of the military, then you have turned over the only instrument that safeguards our freedom to people who don't want us to be free. The only people who will be left in the military are specifically the people who don't want to defend the freedom of the average American. And so, my, my, listen, Drew gave an unpopular answer, kind of a sad, I'll give you an unpopular sad answer. If you are serving in the military, thank God for your sacrifice. And I'm sorry to ask, please keep sacrificing. If you go, the whole thing is over. Hi, my name is Gabriel Paz. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and my question is, can American public high schools be saved or do they have to be overhauled? And if you overhauled them, what would you do to rebuild them? 
Candace. I didn't hear the question. Should can the American public education be, system be saved? Can no. it be overhauled? No, I, we have to completely abolish the Department of Education, and we have to start over. No. And this hits at what we were talking about earlier, and I wanted to to add on to that that I think we need to have a, a bigger discussion about the you know the toxicity of feminism. We keep talking about toxic masculinity, but I think the the real threat in America is toxic femininity. This idea. <laughs> that women need to be like men or to be men or to replace men, which removed women from the, our, our natural roles as nurturers and nurturing and raising up good human beings. Um, so, no, we need, to, we, we need to go completely retro, completely backwards, and we, we need to have children being at, at the home, and I think homeschool is the way to go right now if you're in the country. It's another hard answer. Pardon? It's another hard answer because not everybody is in a position where it's easy for them to homeschool. And yet, sacrifices have to be made if we want to save the country. True to your point, we're going to have to be brave. We're going to have to do hard things. We're going to miss out. We're going to lose. We're not going to get to have everything. We have to pick. Do you want the, the easy pleasures of the left or do you want freedom? And if the answer is that you want freedom, it's going to take hard work and sacrifice. And people, you know, young, young men with everything to live for died to put us here and to make us free. It's true every day, it's true today, it's true yesterday, it's true tomorrow. Young men with everything to live for, and now young women too, die to keep us free. We can lose a job, we can lose a friend, we can lose a Facebook post. It's not that bad. About about homeschooling also, you know, Drew brought up a good point earlier that a lot of people discovered during the lockdowns when they were forced to have, God forbid, their kids in their own house, <laughs> that, um, that homeschooling is something they can actually do. And so I, I think there are a whole lot of parents who think that, uh, well, I can't do homeschooling, it's impossible. I think homeschooling is possible for probably the vast majority of families. Not every family. I mean, there are, there are situations where it probably wouldn't work at all. But for the vast majority of families, it is possible. It's just a matter of reprioritizing. What are your priorities in life? And uh, so that's, that's the solution to a lot of problems, is, is reorganizing your priorities. And that might mean you lose an income in the house. It might mean you, you know, take less expensive vacations. You know, you have to settle on buying two TVs for the house instead of six TVs or whatever. But if you make those kind of sacrifices, I think homeschooling is still an option for, for a great many families. Jeremy. I have to ask a question because I disagree with your last answer. Well, Are I you a necessarily daily wire.com I just want to ask a question to your question, to your point. So you're saying stay in the military and, and comply with this even though it, you don't necessarily agree with it because we need you to be there, right? Hmm. So then wouldn't those people who are still in the military, if they're apply, you know, complying with what they believe to be ty- tyrannical, what if that administration then says, okay, now go shoot everyone who's unvaccinated? Are you going to well, say to them, well, now don't comply? No. No, the I idea say- is if you comply with tyranny, you comply with tyranny, right? I think what I would say is that when you go into the military, you are giving up some of your personal autonomy for the time that you're in the military. And so saying that your commanding officer can give you orders that you don't like uh, and that they can make you do things to yourself, they can make you do you know, 50 push-ups that you don't want to do, they can make you go away from your family overseas when you don't want to go, they can make you get that haircut that you don't want to have, they can make you wear... They can make you do all kinds of things that cost you personal autonomy. I think that what they can't do, and this has been... This has been borne out in the West. Historically, uh, you know, most famously at Nuremberg, uh, it's always been part of the American tradition. They can't 
force you to do evil to other people. So if they're saying take a vaccine you don't want, they already say that in the military. If you're going to go to Djibouti, Africa, uh, and serve in special operations, you're going to have to get, you know, inoculated against malaria, against yellow fever, against typhoid, against all kinds of things. There are side effects. You know, some people do very badly with those vaccines. It's no, it's no laughing matter. Uh, people die from having those vaccines. Soldiers put their lives at risk. If they, on the other hand, say, go confiscate everyone's guns, even if they said, military, go force every American citizen to get the same vaccines you have to have. Well, no, they give up their freedom so that they can preserve our freedom. It's not the same to say, when I serve, I'll allow some of my autonomy autonomy to be sacrificed. That's not the same as saying, I will be an instrument of the state for the suppression of the rights of the individual citizen. Yeah. I think that's the line. Yeah. I think we're disagreeing because I think that when you go to Africa, I view malaria as an actual threat and it's a thing that you should do. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about something that soldiers have an effective 100% chance of surviving. So there's something about that mandate that feels tyrannical to me versus something that seems necessary. You know what I mean? Well, like, well you, you know, know, to your point, I mean, this is a very good distinction here, which is when you look at the infection fatality rate from something like COVID for the vast majority of people, it's extraordinarily low. So I think people are having these prudential disagreements of saying, for, for most healthy people, it's just not that dangerous. It doesn't merit this kind of policy, but, which is obvious. Right? I mean, that seems so clear to us. But then uh, it seems to me the way that we fight that is not to give up the military to the left. Don't forget, the left has, has put out in recent months two ads, one for the CIA and That's a recruitment right. ad for the Army, that were the wokest ads ever. The CIA ad was a woman saying, I'm a proud intersectional feminist, Latinx, yada, yada, yada. Like, that's, what, that's James Bond, right? That's not what I want to join. <laughs> and then the, the army ad was, I learned to fight terrorists at the Pride Parade on Coney Island with my lesbian mothers. That's not a joke. That was the actual ad. And so, you know, they obviously are doing this on purpose. They're trying to discourage conservatives. That's They're trying right. to chase them out of the military. So what I think the way forward is, is we, it's similar to the public school answer. We need to go in and fire these woke generals and these woke officers who enforce a stupid mandate on our servicemen. We're going to take some more questions and hear from Ben Shapiro at some point in the second act of the show. <laughs> Before we do that, I promised you the world premiere of the trailer for our brand new film, Shut In. Here it is. Lainey! I told you I need to see you at all times. Do you understand me? Well, I'm going to take off tonight so the kids can sleep most of the way. Well, I'm mostly done. I just need to finish cleaning out the pantry. Oh. <laughs> Shut in, everybody. <laughs> We're incredibly excited about our foray into entertainment. You know, Drew mentioned it's something he's been talking about literally since the early 1860s. <laughs> <laughs> when he saw the first talkie, he said, you know, by golly, I think if conservatives got into this racket, we might save the culture. <laughs> 
But one of the things that makes us, I think, unique in the conservative movement uh, is that our company was formed in L.A. We, most of us have backgrounds in culture, not in politics. And it's something that's very near to all of our hearts that, uh, you know, you, you talk about politics, it's become sort of a national obsession. But for most of uh, the 20th century, it's, it is a simple fact that the average parent will spend somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes a day in meaningful conversation with their children. But their children will ingest eight hours a day of public school indoctrination and an additional eight hours a day of value inculcation by the culture, be it film, TV, social media. In other words, even a good parent is outmatched exponentially for their child's attention. I'm not saying that we're making kids content. I'm saying that the culture is the, the true battlefield. You cannot save the culture if you give up the culture. We're not giving it up, and we're very grateful to you guys for helping us make a stand. Yeah. <clears throat> you, know, you know what was an, an amazing example of how we are beggars in our own culture mm-hmm. was this Dave Chappelle show that was on recently. Uh, yeah. Chappelle's a funny guy, and I'm not attacking him at all, but he came out and he said something that every four-year-old knows, that, that the boys have the pee-pee and the girls have the vagina, you know, I mean, he said this, and we were cheering for it like it was a victory. This guy is saying what everyone knows, and we thought, wow, and Netflix didn't even cancel him, you know? Yeah. We, go, we go to James Bond movies, and we're so happy that he's not a lesbian, you know, that we think, <laughs> wow, what a, what a victory, so what a true. victory for the culture. It's, it's nonsense. We're playing defense it's all so the time, true. and on defense, you cannot win. We got to play offense, and it's great that we're doing it. Hello, my name is Eldra Abraham. I'm a political exile from Chicago, Illinois. Right now, I'm in Kansas City. My question for the hosts are, uh, what are your thoughts about secession? Should the red states secede from the union? Okay, Ben, I'm gonna let you take that one. <laughs> so, the, the problem is that there is a giant federal government with two million people working for it, including a massive army with nuclear weapons. Uh, And so, on a practical level, one of the reasons I moved to a red state was to personally secede from California, right? Was to move (laughs) to a place where I was going to be surrounded by people who shared my values and who wanted to educate their kids the same way I wanted to educate my kids. And this is why I'm a big believer in in federalism. I do think that the, the notion that this is going to go quite as smoothly as everybody seems to think it's going to go, uh, that the federal government just says, okay, well, half the country can take off. That, 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 there's not a great history of that. Uh, what, I, what I think instead is that what's going to have to happen is a fight to destroy the scope of the federal government. Yes. Because either we are going to share a country or we're not. And this really will be the question. The question is not going to be, is there a civil war in our future if the government continues to grow this way? Because if the government continues to grow this way, secession will happen. I mean, that just is the reality. If if the government continues to grow to the point where it controls all aspects of life, down to whether you can own a gun, how you can educate your kids, when the states provide no barrier to how you choose to live your life, people will resist that. That's just the reality of how human beings live. The only way to combat that is going to be to tremendously limit and, 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 uh, I think, in, in large ways, destroy the scope and ability of the federal government to control our lives and to relegate a lot of that power 
back to the states. And so one of the most encouraging things that I'm seeing is actually something that the left is very upset about, which is this big sort that's happening, right? Companies like ours moving from California to Tennessee. Now, us personally moving out of, I mean, I, I was born in LA, I grew up in LA, and now we live in Florida. And we, the company obviously is in this state. And you know, I, I think that as that happens more and more, it's going to become clear that if the federal government is not to be used as a tool by the red states against the blue or the blue against the red, it's going to have to be whittled down to size. And that means really not whittling. That really means taking a chainsaw and mowing it all the way down to size. Uh, and yeah, if that doesn't happen, then I don't think it's a question of whether there is a secession. I think it's a question of just when that happens. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I agree that the federal government, the power of the federal government needs to be abridged significantly. The problem is that that's, you know, that requires the people in charge of the federal government to do that, and uh, they're just, they're not ever going to agree to do it. I mean, we know even Republicans talk about shrinking the size of government. They never actually do it. I think the other problem is that even if we could achieve that, we still have this philosophical, this deeper problem, which is that we as Americans live already, not in two different countries, but we live in two different universes, uh, where there's this, this vast chasm between us that just cannot be bridged anymore, where you've got, you know, when I, when I look at people on the other side of this ideological divide, they, what do we agree on? What, what basic value do we, do we both hold? And that is nothing at all. I mean, we can't even agree that, uh, that only women can have babies. I mean, we, we can't even agree on something as, as basic as that. So I just think that, you know, well, we already agree, we, we already live in this, in this divided country. Well, the, with divisions that are, I think are deeper than I mean, what existed in the Civil War. Believe, well, I, I don't know that our divisions are, are deeper than, than the belief that certain people are property and certain people are not. Right? I think that, that there's the abortion issue. Yeah, that's one of them. Well, we, believe we, me, I, I, we, I believe, we have that. Plus, we have. I don't think it's necessary to compare where we are in the country right now to a, a situation in which literally millions of people were being held as, as property and then 600,000 Americans died fighting one another. I don't think that's going to break out any moment. Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean I'm sanguine about where we are. What it does mean is that there are basically three paths for the country. One is complete federal tyranny in which we just joust for who controls the government gun. And sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And then eventually people get tired of being on the losing end of that bargain. You do end up with an actual violent secession movement. Uh, the second possibility is that states begin to actively resist the mandates of the federal government, which you're starting to see right now and I'm very optimistic about. And the federal government realizes that as large as it is and as powerful as it is, it is not willing to undergo, undergo the vicissitudes of unleashing federal law enforcement into the states in order to enforce. And you have basically a soft form of secession that isn't actually secession, where the states just continue A balkanization. To, uh, yeah, a certain balkanization. Uh, and then the, the third possibility is that you, you have sort of the I don't know, European Economic Commission version of the United States, the Articles of Confederation version of the United States, right. which is the one thing that we can maybe agree on if we don't want to buy over the government gun. The one thing maybe we'll be able to agree on, this is what I'm hopeful about, uh, maybe, uh, is that maybe the people in California are so scared of the people in Texas, they say, we certainly don't want those people running our lives. And the people in Texas are so scared of the people in California, we say, we don't want those people you, you running know, our it's, lives. It's funny, I actually don't think that the red states are the most likely to secede. I think if a secession were to happen today, it would be California, and it would take with it Washington and and. Uh, They're trying uh, to. They're actively trying to That's secede. Right. I also, uh, you know, I, Ben, I agree with your reticence here. I think conservatives are a little too loose with the calls for secession mm -hmm. because secessions do not happen peacefully. They just never do. It doesn't happen in India and Pakistan. It doesn't happen. There's, no, there's no Brexit process in the United States. That's right. not how this and there, works. And, and so, uh, you know, unless you're really willing to go out and kill your cousins, uh, which I'm not, I don't think that we, we ought to secede. But I, I do think also 
Uh, look, I, I'd love to shrink the federal government and stop having them run our lives, but to Matt's point, we've been talking about that for 70 years, and we never do it, even when we win elections, because Republicans are cowardly, and there's maybe not even a way to do it. So I do think, you know, it seems to me the call for secession is, ironically, sort of a lib answer. You know, it's kind of this idea, like, you do you. And to getting to your point, Matt and Ben, about slavery and the comparison, we kill upwards of a million babies a year in this country, so I think the moral issues are pretty serious, and I don't want to just let half the country continue to do that, and I don't want to let them do them and destroy the distinction between male and female and do all sorts of horrible things and destroy my country. I want to take the power back. I no. want to exercise well, power in a... Let me just, let me just say one thing. Hold on, Matt, Matt. Let me just say one thing. Let me just say one thing. Yes, secessions don't happen peacefully, but neither do unifications. That's the part that you're missing too, right? Like when countries come together, it's not, peace, it's not peaceably either, right? What we're seeing right now in this country, I actually very much agree with Matt. There is not a single particle that we agree on, left and right. There's nothing. I mean, if you actually think that children should be taught pornography in school, tell me what the middle ground is there. Tell me where we're going to go, yeah. okay, you know what, let's unify here, like we're in couples counseling here, right? No, you have I to think be, my child should be, be able to twerk and pick their gender yeah. and be sexualized in kindergarten. You say, no, I think that maybe the child should grow up. Tell me what the middle ground is. No, there's no middle right? ground. You so have I, to beat them I don't think it's, I think that that's actually a very sensible discussion to have. Yes, I understand it's not going to be easy, but clearly trying to unify the country but, is not very but my and it's equally as violent. How many people are dying I, in Black Lives Matter protests, Antifa protests? We're acting like the violence is not happening right no, now, today. This, this, is, this is not just a discussion. But why give the this is not just a discussion. Why don't we just keep it? Why don't we just be, why don't we just, my, my point on this, because I agree with everything you're saying, Candace. Absolutely, we should not let the teachers do this or the woke generals or anyone else do this. But why should we let them have their own part of the United States to do these evil, awful can I, can things? I explain why? why don't we just can take I, it back? Can I explain why? Really, I want, to bring a, I want to bring it back to the shopping carts for a minute. Um, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Uh, this, this is not just a discussion about what should happen. It's a discussion of what must happen. And so in, here's, here's, here's a must. A country must have some sort of uniting factor in order to remain a country, in order for a people to be a people. Totally and we know right. that other countries across the world, they're united by heritage. They're united by ancestry. They're united by... At least the flag. Yeah, they're, 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 united, they're united sometimes by religion, by race. I mean, that's, that's other countries in the world. We, that's never really been the case for our country, and that's fine. But we did have, as the United States of America, what united us were some basic shared values. And my point is that if we do not have that anymore, which we don't, and I don't see any scenario where magically we acquire those shared values then the country doesn't exist anymore anyway. And, and so... You don't so even agree I, on a no, national no, language anymore. We have to deal with that reality. I don't think anybody just, on the stage I, disagrees about the diagnosis. I think we disagree about both the prognosis and, and the cure. Meaning mm -hmm. that I, I just don't know how you get from there to here. If, well, I, if, 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 but if, but I think wait, we're not a country. Can I, hold, hold on. Can I, I have to return here to the idea that some of this is theater, and it's purposeful theater, and it's theater that has been manufactured by the Internet, which is a force well, we don't fully understand yet. And so I, I think it's, it's true there is a group of people in this country who do not agree with the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of the country, the founding of the country. I don't think it's that big a group. I don't think that the people who actually believe that men can become women is that many people. And so the, the question is, uh, going back to what somebody said before about speaking out and not being afraid is a question of, of calling them out, 
calling the people who fire John Gruden out and saying, no, you're the bad guys, and there's not that many of you. I really do believe on both the left and the right, because I don't believe this is a left-right question anymore. I believe this is a question of power, global uh, conglomerating power, and this Individual. Small, <laughs> I don't no, think that's people either. Like, so it's like, yes, I agree with you. I believe that the majority of a nation does not want to see children sexualized. I, I can agree with that, right? But then I also have to be aware of the fact that, yes, the defund the police movement was real. Those were yeah. real people. There are real people all across the country that don't agree that we need to have local police. Like, they actually think it just all needs to be abolished, right? The idea of criminals running the street makes them feel happier than the idea that a criminal will be locked up rightfully and how, put into how prison. How many people do you think there are? And, and by the way, Candace, the question is not how many people there are in the, in the moment, in a moment of panic, in a moment of hysteria, right. but how many people there are long-term. You know, well, can I, can I, can I too many? <laughs> Here, here's, here's, you, you say that you, you, know, you don't think that uh, very many people actually believe that men can be women and so on. Uh, I, I wish that was the case. I hope that it is true. Um, you know, first of all, even if that is the case, then, then sh you know, we talk about the silent majority. Well, shame on us as the majority if, if most of us yes. don't believe this and we've loud our culture. But, I, but, I don't, but the reality is, you, you, know, you, look at the, you look at any of the survey, any of the polling, uh, you find in the youngest generations, for example, gender non-conforming and trans identification among, young, among kids has risen tenfold mm -hmm. over, over, over the previous generations. What that tells us is that this is a very real movement and phenomenon in our culture, and it's a very real divide that I think is basically bridgeable. I don't think that's what it tells us. I think what it tells us is people will believe anything. And I think that the problem that we're dealing with, we like to blame the left for everything that goes wrong in our country. Oh, the left, they believe in abortion. Oh, the left, they like to cancel people. Oh, the left, they say boys can be girls and girls can be boys. The right is the problem. We're cowards. Uh, totally agree we, with you there. We ceded, we ceded our country to them. They yeah. said, give me your country. And we said, oh, yeah, just don't say anything bad about me. This is it's so true. right. It's so this true. So right. You're right. You're, you're spot on. I, I am not a coward. Like, I refuse to be a coward. I say everything, and I say some more things that I probably shouldn't say, just so they know that I have a right to say it, right? Yeah. But you are correct. You are correct. Republicans, especially white male conservatives, which I get it, you guys are under attack, but I mean, you will say something that is true, and then yeah. allow somebody to pigeonhole you and say that you saying that true thing makes you racist, and then you guys shut up. It's incredible. I've never seen anything oh, like it's, it. It's incredible. It's, yeah, that's like, it's like magic, true. right? It's absolutely true. You know, like only women can get birth. Shut and, up, you yeah. white racist. And suddenly, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm. And I would, you know, I would have to say, but hold on. Let me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll disagree in, in one sense that it's the right, because the truth is that the right does not hold institutional power in this country and has not held institutional power in this country for probably two generations. Okay, the, the truth is that the real problem in the country, in the end, and this is going to be the fate of the country, is and always will be the people in the middle, right? Because there are a bunch of people in the middle, you know, people who may agree with some of the left on policy, but disagree, I think, on a fundamental level with some of the crazy of the left, right? Disagree with defund the police, but still vote Democrat. Disagree with, with the abortion past the point of birth, but still vote Democrat. Uh, I disagree with the cancellation of everybody who has a bad old email, but is too afraid to say anything. And the question is, can those people be motivated to stand up? And if the answer is no, the country is going to fall apart naturally. It's not going to be a question of do we choose for the country to fall apart or not. It just will. Yeah. So if those people stand up, and if we can give them a backbone, that's really our job, right? Where, where we yeah. failed on the right is to give those people a backbone and a place to go. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of what we're doing here at Daily Wire as a company and with your support, what we're doing. But it's, it's not just that. You know, 
you know, when, when Drew says that people in New York have to stand up and they have to, they have to speak out, what they also have to realize is that there are going to be people who back their play when push comes to shove. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the right really needs to be, right? Because the right, many of us will say what we think. But the question is, okay, your neighbor got fired. You're going to hire your neighbor now that your neighbor got fired from that corporation? Right, You're, the, the pilots at Southwest are, are standing up and saying, even if we're vaccinated, we don't want to stand up for this vax mandate. Are you going to stand with the pilots? Right. The question is, are we on the right going to provide the spinal stiffener that is necessary in order for the people in the middle to feel the level of comfort that they can actually go out and do these things? I mean, I think part of that, by the way, is actually saying to people, yes, there are jobs for you outside of places like New York. Okay, so you lose your job in New York. Guess what? There's a whole other country that's not New York, Vote not LA. Vote with your feet. What was that? Vote with your feet. Right, vote with yeah. your feet. And, and by the way, that is what is happening. And this is where the economy is growing, right? There's a reason people are moving. And so my hope for the future of the country is that how people talk about how they think in polls and how they actually act are two very different things. Yeah. Polling yeah. data is not a good indicator of how people live their lives. How people live their lives is a good indicator of how people live their lives, which is why you're losing congressional seats in California and New York and picking them up in Tennessee, Texas, and, and Florida. Right. I really agree with what you said, Ben. I, I actually want to close on this idea uh, because part of the purpose of tonight was so that we could give you guys an update on what's been going on over at the Daily Wire since we uh, loaded up the truck and moved to Tennessee. This is basically the philosophy from which the Daily Wire operates. It's that there's, is there a way to save the country? I don't know, I'm not God. Is there a way uh, for freedom and, and, or are we going into a new dark ages? I don't know, I'm not God. You know, it's not my job to save the world. I don't have the power to save the world. I don't know the future. All I can do is my part. Right? I can get up, take my steps, do my thing, and trust God with what the outcome is. In your defense, Jeremy, you are a God king. Yes. That is you are not God. <laughs> Lowercase. Lowercase G, yeah. Can't emphasize enough. But what I do think is that if there is a chance for the country, it's actually through strength in division, not strength in unity. Uh, I think that there is a way for the country to come back together. It's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be fast. It's not going to happen if Donald Trump says he's running for re-election. It's not like 2024, the country's going to be back. It's not going to work that way. It's a huge mistake that, that conservatives make. We always think, think we're one election the, away the from next the election. Yeah. No, this is a 40 or 50 year project yes, yes. to bring the country back together. And before we start moving back toward each other, what we actually have to do is consolidate power on the right. They've bifurcated the culture, right? We used to have one culture. We all listen to the same music and we all watch the same movies and we all watch the same sports and we all watch the same TV shows. And then the left said, accept all of you. You're not, you can give us your money if you want to, but you're not allowed to enjoy the stuff that we make. We're going to lecture you. We're going to talk down to you. We're not going to give you what you want. Great, let's make our own culture. Now they're bifurcating the economy. They're saying, no parlor, you can't even use our servers. You can't, you can't engage in basic commerce with Amazon, the largest com commerce institution in the history of the world. No, if you don't agree with the left, you're not even allowed to shop, basically. If you don't agree with the left, you're not allowed to talk. If you don't agree with the... So what do we have to do? We have to build our own economy. We have to accept the premise that bifurcation is upon us, and we have to start succeeding over here. If they say to half of the country, you can't, that half of the country needs to say, screw you, we will. The irony, 
The irony is that when the right builds its own culture, when the right builds its own commerce, when the right builds its own institutions, when we stop just saying that we're religious and start actually practicing our religions, when the right becomes healthy and strong again, you will eventually reach a place where the only way for continued growth to have, right? When all the left watches Hollywood movies and all of the right watches Daily Wire movies, <laughs> the only way for us to get new market share will be to come back together. <laughs> But we're not going to come back together out of weakness. We're going to come back together out of strength. When we're as strong as we can be and as big as we can be, then the left is going to go, well, crap, I guess we shouldn't have done that thing that we did. And we're going to get to negotiate the terms of coming back together. It isn't, again, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be fast. We're going to take losses. Things are going to get worse before they get better. We're going to be dispirited. We're going to be demoralized. We're going to have to get back up, dust ourselves off, keep fighting. And if we do, I think over the course of, listen, the left won a generational battle. What we're waking up to now is the fact that we lost a generational battle. You don't turn that tide without us engaging in a general in a generational battle. The beauty is we are now the counterculture. Look how great counterculture can be. Let's get out there and kick their ass. Hey guys, we did it. Thank you for coming and seeing our show at the Ryman Auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. We're so grateful to you guys, so grateful to the crew, so grateful to all the great Daily Wire employees who haven't slept in two weeks to make this happen, so grateful to our dailywire.com subscribers who pay all the bills and make it possible for us to engage in this conflict, so grateful to you guys for making the trip out to see us, grateful to Tennessee, grateful to the Ryman, I'm grateful to these guys, we're all going to hug backstage after, and we'll see you next time on Backstage Live.